Welcome to Centering Health Equity. I'm Dwayne Reynolds, co-host and president of Chartist Just Health Collective. And I'm Maria Hernandez, your co-host and COO of Impact for Health. In this episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with two executives about the role that health plans can play in advancing health equity. We are excited to welcome Pat Geherty, President and CEO of GuideWell and Florida Blue, and Dr. Kelly Tice, Vice President, Medical Affairs and Chief Health Equity Officer at GuideWell. Our conversations looked at the major shifts that took place in GuideWell's approach to health equity in the wake of the pandemic and the racial reckoning that dominated the nation in 2020. Pat and Dr. Tice provided a candid summary of the many issues and initiatives that have taken center stage at GuideWell and their ongoing commitment to the communities they serve throughout Florida. Good afternoon. We're joined by Pat Geherty and Dr. Kelly Tice, who are with Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida and the Guidewell organization. So excited to have you both as a part of our podcast today. And I'm going to kick off our questions with this first one. How would you compare the response to health inequities among health plans before the pandemic versus today? Well, thanks for the question. I would say that the pandemic, along with the social justice movement over the past few years really put a magnifying glass on the longstanding inequities that are in our healthcare system. COVID-19 and social justice movement brought to light a lot of the issues that have been there and really haven't been getting enough attention uh, in our country. And so as a mission-driven organization like Florida Blue and GuideWell, we really um, wanted our organization to be in the forefront of de- developing health solutions, not just ensuring uh, claims after they happen. And so we really doubled down on our efforts. We had been making efforts in this space, but I think what happened out of the pandemic and, and the social justice movement really raised up our um, cognizance of the issue and our commitment to making it a issue that was first and foremost in our minds. So one of the things we've done is to name a chief health equity officer. So we brought focus to how we as an organization were thinking about health equity. And I have the pleasure of being joined on the podcast this morning by Dr. Kelly Tice. And uh, I'd ask Kelly to make some comments about the things that are on her plate as she drives the agenda for Florida Blue. Thank you, Pat, and and thank you for having us today. Such an important conversation. Pre and post-pandemic literally feel like worlds apart as we consider the advancement of health equity work. One of the things that, that was clear to us at the outset was that the impacts of the pandemic were going to provide opportunity for learning that we have a responsibility to leverage. What we based our responses on as we ensured equitable distribution of vaccine, as we tried to ensure that appropriate and accurate information was deployed to communities at greatest risk. Again, I'm so proud of that model. And we've continued to leverage that approach with 
all of our subsequent health equity initiatives. Excellent. And I have uh, just a follow-on question to that. So, you know, as we get further and further from the incident, particularly the murder of George Floyd, I was wondering about how we keep up the pulse and the communication that helps us stay grounded in the communities that may be suffering and why we need to always stay focused in this area. How are you doing that? How are you how are you making that relevant to today's conversation, which you know has advanced and we're bringing in data to be able to talk about these things, but how do you keep a focus on that? So one of the things that, that happened very soon after the murder of George Floyd was that Pat brought his leadership team together to stand up the Equity Alliance. We made a commitment right away not just to dedicate funding, and we, we made a commitment to contribute $25 million to addressing and implementing solutions that address the impact of racism on the Black community. But we also aligned our leaders and all of our employees around some specific objectives that are intended to guide our work in, the, in that community. So very intentional efforts that are actually being sustained. Forward. We're now in 2023, and the Equity Alliance has now just met to begin to discuss the goals for the coming uh, year and, and onward. So we're keeping that top of mind intentionally, ensuring that the work we've begun is continuing to have measurable impact. We focus on more than, than just outcomes in terms of health disparities through the work of the Equity Alliance. We actually focus on root cause. So we've got STEM initiatives. We have pipeline initiatives to address underrepresentation. We've looked at our own workforce and put together some internal programs to increase the diversity at um, our, specifically at our director level. We've just done a number of things that are intended to have years-long impact at the target that, that Pat helped create for our company. What I would add to that is when you think about this issue, it isn't one silver bullet. It's a lot of different things that you have to do. And so we thought about this from uh, how do we deal with our employees? How do we deal with our members? How do we deal with the providers that are delivering the care? And so we launched an initiative in partnership with some of our provider partners in our communities to do education at the provider delivery level so that we were raising awareness of the social determinants of health and really bringing that into a curriculum, if you will, uh, for those that were delivering care on the front line. With our own employees, we started with a crucial conversation where we had employees tell their story about living while Black. It was very eye-opening for people to hear from their peers about the challenges and things people that they were working shoulder to shoulder with. And so that conversation was important. We brought outside experts in to engage our employees in conversations about bias and how it's in endemic in all that we do and certainly endemic in healthcare. We had our board attend that session as well as our leadership team and people throughout the ranks of our organization. So this was a really holistic way of thinking about what the answers are as we go forward. And we uh, share with our board of directors 
our equity goals, and we call them out at the very top of the organization. And so it is something on our company scorecard. So we really have ingrained what we're doing, because if you don't measure it, you're not going to make a difference. And so measurement is also another very important part of this equation. And Kelly has sort of leadership here, but what we really didn't want to have happen is it gets turfed to Kelly. Kelly's the champion, but we all own it in the entire organization. And we're sort of linked in the way we think about this issue. I'm so glad that you've said that, Pat, because many times in our work with different health systems, the chief diversity officer or the chief health equity officer is often, you know, someone who feels like it's all on their shoulders. And our message has always been, it cannot be done by one person. As you said, this really requires multiple layers of activity and initiatives to be successful. I have a question that really kind of dovetails into something you mentioned a moment ago. You've really thought about a lot of different programs that you can do internally to support and advance health equity. I'm curious if you could share, what would you say are the leverage points that health plans can use to advance health equity in partnership with health systems and certainly other environments where providers work? It's one thing to to speak to what you're doing internally, but as you can well imagine, in our work, uh, we're seeing a lot of health systems just, you know, barely get started now. And so they're struggling or they're trying to figure out what to do. There are many requirements coming down the pipeline for them to actually do this work. We'll talk about that in a moment. But what what's the leverage point for a health plan? Yeah, great question. You know, when we step back and look at how we engage the community, one of the critical roles we play is a convener. We're at the intersection of a lot of the transactions that happen with our members. We're also at the intersection of a lot of data. And so as we do the data analytics, we can see where gaps are. And we have the ability to then help with bringing the right education to that equation to bring the data to those that may actually be touching that member, but don't see the data. And so that's a very important role in this equation. And the reals data is obviously very important to this discussion as well. Historically, health plans were arm's length to uh, data that incorporated race or incorporated any of the LGBTQ issues these were sensitive areas. Really important to the equation is trust, building trust, having the right liaisons to the communities that you're working with so that the data is being used in the best interest of serving the people who are our members. And so that is an absolutely foundational kind of issue when you get into this space. And so we've been very sensitive about that very careful to build the right bridges into the communities that we serve. And in fact, within our own organizations, we had these employee resource groups and we really empowered those groups to say, we really don't wanna just do a social understanding of the group you represent. We actually want a dialogue between our organization out to the community you represent 
and in from that community into what we're building programmatically and how we're thinking about data and communicating with the community you represent. It really engaged a lot of our employees in being ground floor in the building of product, in the building of communications. And it took us, I think, to a next maturity level about how we use the diversity in our organization to better serve all the communities that we have in the state of Florida. So from my perspective, that was sort of the strategic construct. And I'm sure Dr. Kelly Tice can add some more commentary about how that's playing out in her area. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that Pat just alluded to is that we, we really do have a hyper-local approach. Um, there are some there are assumptions that can be made. There are trends that can be established, you know, at the population level. But the real work, the insights, the implementation occurs at the local level. We concluded our year, 2022, with a series of health equity roundtables that brought to the table diverse stakeholder groups, and it allowed us to hear directly from them, be it the small business community, the healthcare community, nonprofits. We actually were able to hear from them the challenges they were facing in the implementation, their own health equity strategy work. We were able to share as models some of our programmatic work that is built upon incorporating insights from the community members themselves, right? The, the key here, and you know, we talked a little bit about sustainability of this work. The key is, is understanding at the outset that this is not a, you know, a one-year long sort of initiative. These really are long-term goals that have been set that require us to make the upfront investment that engenders the, the trust of the folks that we're trying to serve. Um, and, and we do that from inside out. All that, that Pat said about our employee resource groups and really listening to them, giving people the opportunity to share in safe environments what their actual experiences are, which is different than having them respond to a, you know our set of, of questions, but having the, the dialogue that really directs us to things we perhaps haven't considered and haven't thought to incorporate or to address that themselves serve as barriers for the implementation we're trying so you know um, fervently to get to get to. Uh, engaging the right partner in the right place is really key to this. And one of the, the learnings from the pandemic was that we had to fully prioritize thought leaders in the communities we were trying to reach, partner with them intentionally so that they could, could help advance the message that was necessary and strengthen the trust that we're trying to develop. That's great to hear. I'm really thrilled that there's a partnership between the plant and the health systems and even the community as well. I think that's terrific. I wonder if you could just expand a little bit on, you mentioned a moment ago, I think Pat said, you know, you have to have trust with the organizations to be able to do this. What would you say is important to 
another health plan listening to this, another organization trying to navigate this, what would you say is important to establish early on about this partnership, about this working collaboratively together? For me, I would say the goals that you're trying to achieve and your main pathways to achieving those goals have to be uh, shared and built with the community in mind. And so the community has to be at the table. They have to be part of the conversation. This cannot be health plan developed it and we're here to bring it to you because that's dead on arrival. We know that the stakeholders have to be very much engaged in the discussion. One of the advantages I believe we had in our plan is that we now have 1.4 million people covered in our Affordable Care Act product line. That took a reshaping of our business. We went from selling our business to employers to being very much a grassroots organization, selling to individuals, and having to know those individuals where they live, where they go to church, where they go for services in their community. And so over now almost a decade-long period of time of putting in the ground forces to fully understand and appreciate what's happening at a community level, you build trust through being there, being there year in and year out. We serve all 67 counties in Florida and have from day one of the Affordable Care Act. We have product for in each uh, choice category for all 67 counties. That is a demonstration by action of our commitment. And so I think that that level of commitment, the organizations we work with uh, through the ACA gave us a platform that we are able to build on as we start looking deeper into the equity initiatives we now look to move. So there's, there's a building up of a foundation that is a great starting point. But then the continued dialogue with the community has been really critical to our credibility in the communities that we're working with to try and move the dial. The other thing I'd say is, you know, the goals around things like maternal child health, where it's a clear area of gap and setting the goal of 50% reduction in those maternal child health shortfall over the next five years is something the Blue Cross Association committed to nationwide and did it by talking to all the right stakeholders to make sure that this goal resonated with them and would be meaningful if achieved. And so that's really at the heart of building a program that uh, is going to have lasting impact. You speak about some really great initiatives um, that are going on within Guidewell and Blue Cross Blue Shield. We've been fortunate to work with Blue Cross Blue Shield in Minnesota in doing some more targeted sort of focus group work around populations that are being served and, and figuring out some of those barriers. We're seeing that there are many new regulations that are emerging that are focused on driving outcomes across many different demographic groups. And so the example is the National Committee for Quality Assurance has created two accreditation programs, one being 
health equity accreditation and the second being accreditation plus. And so these new requirements are really pushing leaders to collect and review the data so that we can move towards more equity of care. And so my question is, how are these regulations impacting um, health plans in a larger sense, but specifically, how have you begun to interpret and, and use some of these regulations to continue your journey inside of uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida? Yeah, so first of all, we are an NCQA accredited plan. So it's important when initiatives are taken on by uh, NCQA because we are certainly making sure that what we're doing foots to the initiatives that are being driven um, more broadly across uh, the country. So that's one of the one of the elements of this. Uh, anytime there's regulation, it is obviously on our radar. We are uh, a plan that really uh, prides itself on doing the right thing. In almost all cases, we're ahead of the curve. Regulation is sort of catching up with things that we're already pushing and driving in our communities, but we are certainly cognizant of uh, the regulations and making sure that we're doing the right things by our members. And I'll let Dr. Tice talk a little bit more about the specific initiatives. So the two health equity accreditation offerings that NCQA offers, we are planning to uh, to apply for and begin reviewing those standards you know, as soon as they were, were released. They are important in that they ensure that we as a plan and those who, you know, who seek and receive this accreditation have the appropriate framework work in place to allow for um, you know, good, impactful work uh, in closing disparity gaps and, and promoting and achieving health equity. There's something else to this, though, that, that is important, and that is that many of the things that have prior to now been the nice-to-haves as it relates to health equity are being rolled into the regular standards, right? So as we are focused on, you know, out of the health equity office, achieving health equity accreditation, NCQA has put in place requirements that plans begin to stratify their outcomes by race, ethnicity, and language starting in 2023. And, you know, I think it starts with five measures in 2023, but by 2025, all measures need to be stratified in that manner. And that's the story that that we really have to tell, both you know across the payer population, but also across the healthcare continuum. We should expect that things related to health equity become mainstream requirements, so that jobs like mine actually evolve to really focus on very specific and sort of niche initiatives, right? So where the solutions have to be very innovative and creative. And the low-hanging fruit is mainstream work. It is a part of how we engage, how we do work as, as payers, as health systems, as providers going forward, because that's what's necessary. We can't talk about value base and not recognize that it's it has got to um, have health equity integrated into it. We can't talk about reducing cost of care without recognizing that a big part of that conversation is reducing the spend toward the end of life for folks who are, are dealing with preventable complications from chronic illnesses 
worsened by unaddressed social determinants of health, right? So it really is mainstream work that as we develop our skills and have the appropriate awareness of it through all of the programs that Pat and I have, have discussed thus far, it's really mainstream work that the health equity work we're doing now that feels so specific will, will, will be shifted toward. I think these <laughs> compliance measures are excellent to have in place, but what I also recognize is that they are foundational. They are not the end-all, be-all solution. And the work that you all have, have talked about during this session really speaks to some of the deep cultural work and change management work that's necessary and goes well above and beyond sort of check the box. And sometimes, you know, I think compliance standards can get us in that pattern. So I do caution folks who are out there doing this work that let it be foundational, but don't let it be all of what you focus on because there's much more to, to the change management process to really get this right. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if you could share a success story because you've really covered a wide range of innovative uh, solutions that you're implementing. And I know that you mentioned maternal health as a priority. We know that that's a national issue, of course. I'm just curious if you could touch upon a, an example of something that has really worked well for people listening and beginning their journey. Well, the thing that I, I take a lot of pride in is that we have positioned ourselves as less of a health insurer and more as a health solutions company. And when we say a health solutions company, we have a broad definition. And that broad definition includes things like housing, transportation, nutrition, education. And so many of the things that we're engaged in today are in communities where we define zip codes in our service area that were the most challenged zip codes in Jacksonville, in Orlando, Tampa, South Florida. And we know we cannot do it alone. This was an engagement of many stakeholders in each one of those communities. But every one of these efforts involve what can be done with housing to keep people in the community and actually to draw people back to the community. What can we done with having local groceries? What can we do in combination with the Feeding America branches across our state? to raise the level of food that they were uh, distributing. So in most of those locations, we actually help put the refrigeration in place so they can deliver fresh food, not just canned industrial food. Lots of our folks during the pandemic, lots of our members were getting a lot of food supply from, from those kinds of locations. We wanted to upgrade what was there. Transportation, when you're talking about healthcare delivery, access is not just about having a provider, it's having a provider you can get to. So the access issue is an important uh, issue. Having you know, affordable housing is a big societal issue, but one that we see we have a piece in and a role to play. So there's an initiative in Orlando called Lift Orlando. We are one of the stakeholders there in trying to lift that whole community up. 
we've modeled that in Jacksonville with Lift Jacksonville. And so there are a variety of these efforts we are engaged in in a significant way around our state. Kelly mentioned the 25 million that we pledged over a five-year period of time. We've spent 18 and a half million of that already, and we will continue to spend out those funds. And then we'll go back with our foundation and, and look at what we can do going forward. These are long-term commitments. These are not overnight changes. These are really about being a partner in the community. Each one of these communities has people from the community on the board making decisions about how that community will be led, managed, what the guidelines are. And that is absolutely at the core of what we believe. You got to be a partner. Um, this is not something we're doing to anyone. We're doing with. And so we feel very good about how we've structured these our role in the equation, and the fact that we see real lights going off in terms of lifting uh, some of our most needy communities. Those are fantastic examples. Yeah. Dr. Tice, any other example you'd like to give a, of a great success story? I want to sort of spotlight a couple of things that, that Pat said I think are really critical. Pat used the word stakeholder. We are stakeholders in those communities. That means we're not we're not just funding it, right? We're actually present. That is a, a very important characteristic to call out because, again, you can't say that you're going to address the needs of uh, particularly the Black community, but min minority community overall, without exhibiting the behaviors that promote trust. And so that's really key. Folks know when you come there and sort of gather their data and, you know, drop off the bags of highly processed, low nutritive value foods, right? They, they know the difference between that and you being physically present in their community as a part of a, a collaborative to which they themselves have representation. Like that is, that is such a tremendous um, difference between checking the box and actually um, demonstrating the commitment that's required for sustained change. So I think that's really important. Unfortunately, you know, I don't want to reach too far back, but I do think this is just a, a wonderful example of how our partnership and our commitment to this really works. I, I told you that we had a lot of learnings from the pandemic. One of the things that we did was we partnered with um, the, the White House in ensuring equitable distribution of the vaccine. In doing that, we took data that we had leveraged. We had landed data onto what we call our social determinants of health dashboard and mapped where our services are, where our partners are, where our members are located, and all of the social characteristics of the particular communities. And we were able to literally pinpoint, you know, this is the neighborhood where we need to send resources in order to hold a, a vaccine event or an information session. Over and over again, using that particular delivery model, we got individual reports from members who said, you know what, I was thinking about getting that vaccine. I just wasn't sure. And then y'all called me. And here I am today. It, it was the perfect sort of marriage of data and partnership and relationship to solve, uh, to meet the need of a community. And we duplicated that 26 times, 26 events we held across our state where we used that approach and brought folks 
we were able to reach folks in rural communities, in the inner city settings, all across the the gamut in terms of, of social barriers to having access. And it was an incredible learning ground for us. And we rolled that approach into our current immunization strategy, and we will use that for our diabetes solutions going forward because it works, right? Yes, was it more labor-intensive? Absolutely. But it also had much more impact. That's the focus. The other call-out that I would make is that initiatives are, are good. But we had a number of our, our employees across our company that actually got certified in Lean Six Sigma in 2022, many of whom are part of our care teams, our quality teams. So being able to take the information and roll it into more efficient processes is the other key to ensuring sustainability, right? We won't always need a champion to advance these things because we are actually applying what we're learning and we're getting better at it as we move forward. And and I think those are critical pieces. So as we uh, round out today's session, the the last question I'd like to leave you all with um, has to do with challenges and barriers that you sort of foresee coming out of this. One barrier that a lot of organizations tend to run into is you know, how we show the ROI of, of this type of work in the short run so that we ultimately understand that we're getting value beyond just it being the right thing to do. We know that it is. Um, and we know that we can make some process, you know, process improvement measures move. But what about those financial ROI things? How are you approaching that and then beyond that, are there any other challenges that you see forthcoming that you're needing to address? Right. Thank you. And I, I, I very much appreciate that question. I hope I have an idea of what, what Pat may share. But one of the things that he and the members of his leadership team have been open to is the idea that the short-term ROI for real impactful health equity work is not typical of our other initiatives, right? So we have been trying to set expectations around how we do this work well. That's number one. Number two, we have to be willing to assess what we're already doing, right? There are a number of things we were already involved in that actually had the, were either promoting equity or worse, were promoting or worsening health disparities. So internal assessment of current work to label things appropriately and to correct the things that, you know, should be corrected in the short term. I think there's some learnings and there's some, we could capture some of the ROI that way. And then really kind of doubling down on tracking the work that we do. What happens in, in most systems, you know, ours being similar, is that this work is done because we're good people doing the right things the right way. Because we are determined, you know, we've added inclusion as as one of our values. We're determined to see people and and to meet all their needs. We added social workers to our interdisciplinary care teams years ago, before before my position even existed, because we recognized the need. The tracking of those activities, though, was not something that was prioritized because it felt like the right thing. So, you know, sort of getting the right labels on the right things, I think, will contribute significantly toward measuring the ROI. 
I think the other barrier is folks feeling like, feeling as if health equity work requires such an extraordinary change that becomes very daunting, right? And so you mentioned earlier change management. So ensuring that we've got a, a, a holistic enterprise approach supported by all of the business units to ensure that what we put in place stays fixed and that we can iterate a really, it's a culture shift that, um, that has to be led by the, by, by the top, but it also has to be supported at the middle and at the entry level as well. There's no question from our board down, there was no expectation of an ROI early. There is an expectation that this is the right work and that we would track it in a disciplined way. We wouldn't just say, hey, this is on mission and therefore do whatever you need to do. We were more focused about our dollars, frankly. Our foundation used to give to thousands of organizations small amounts. And we've been much more disciplined about, no, we want to give impactful amounts to the right partners so that we can actually move the dot. So concentrating what you're giving with the right partner who also sees the measurement as an important part of the process gets you to a place where ROI becomes part of the fabric of how you're collectively thinking about this. Dr. Tice also alluded to sort of the mental health aspect that's involved here. Whole nother subject, but we acquired our behavioral health vendor and have integrated that now into our organization because the pandemic really highlighted all of the things in that behavioral health space, which dovetails with much of what we've been talking about today Behavioral health is integrated in all of these issues, and we wanted to bring that closer and tighter to what we're looking at. We also have a pilot going on there that's showing us already that when behavioral health is applied and behavioral health screenings are applied more frequently up front, it's actually cost-effective. Uh, it was our going-in belief uh, but we're already starting to demonstrate that there's some truth around that. Too early to declare victory, but it is something we're working on. And we have this belief that if we are doing the right things and we're focused about how we do it, it will pay off and it'll pay off in the long run. And that is our commitment. And we're measuring it, watching it closely and applying great people like Dr. Tice to the equation. Well, I know I'll speak for Maria here when I say that uh, we were excited to have the two of you on this call. It is very clear that your organization is doing some exemplary, innovative things that are, you know, taking a very holistic approach to this, which is really what it takes in order to truly, you know, move health equity forward um, from both an internal and an external look. So I just want to express my appreciation to the two of you uh, for the work that you're doing. Uh, in in your communities. Yeah, thank you so very much to both of you for your time today. I wonder if we could just close with just my last question is, what keeps you going? This, this whole uh, show made me think of the number of hours and 
dedication that you both have to this work. And I'm just curious if you could each say a few words, what keeps you going? I can tell you my lived experience and my observation as a family physician, spent some time in private practice, have managed and, and sat alongside family members as they've tried to navigate the system. I've stayed up all night with loved ones who were delivering their babies, concerned about inequities that could occur during the labor and delivery and postpartum process. Having lived that, seen that, and touched it as a clinician, I have a public health background where we were under-resourced. You could see the problem clearly, but you didn't have the resources to solve it. And I am now in a position to affect change through the things that we describe, and it feeds itself. You know, I really do draw strength and energy and excitement from the opportunities that exist in front of us because of the alignment that um, that we are gaining through, you know, our, our resources and our relationships. So, you know, in and of itself, the opportunity to do good on such a large level is restorative. Thank you, Dr. Tyson. And I would say, first of all, Duane and Maria, a pleasure to be with you. Really enjoyed uh, the discussion. And for me, you know, I grew up in a family where my parents were both spending all of their free time trying to improve the community in which we lived. My mom, in particular, ran a community health service organization in our hometown. We spent a lot of free time in that organization. And so it becomes a passion. I know throughout my career, I would do my small part, but always thinking that if I had a platform to really drive a wide change in a community, that that's what I really wanted to do. And the fact that I had the opportunity to do that through a Blue Cross Blue Shield company is the nice merger of work and passion and social commitment. And so I feel honored to be in this role, to have this platform. And so I'm committed to not wasting any time, that every day I get up excited to do what I do, but really committed to having great people to do it with and to making a difference in the communities we serve. Wow, thank you so much. That's very inspiring. And we wish you much success and we'll keep in touch and bring you back again, I hope, to share more stories of success. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Centering Health Equity, a podcast dedicated to conversations on reducing bias in healthcare and advancing health equity. You've been listening to our conversation with Pat Garrity, President and CEO, Guidewell and Florida Blue, and Dr. Kelly Tice, Vice President Medical Affairs and Chief Health Equity Officer at Guidewell. For more information about their work, please visit our website at centeringhealthequity.com. You'll find show notes and more information about our guests. If you'd like to be on our show or would like to recommend someone for us to interview, Please share this with us on our website or send us your recommendation on Twitter at Center Health EQ. Until next time, be well.